Because at the root of all of the what if and the so what is really a measure of whether or not somebody feels that they can take control back in their life. You're listening to The Right Club Podcast, where the focus is all about helping you grow your real estate investment portfolio and live the life you want to live. Come grow with us and join our community at therightclub.com. And now your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi. Hey, Right Club Nation. Welcome back to a special episode of our podcast. And I'm here today with my wonderful co-host, Laurel Simmons. Hey, Laurel, how are you? I'm doing great, Sarah. How are you? Excellent, excellent. So we really wanted to take some time and do something a little bit different and show you a little bit of a twist to our podcast. And we're going to actually have a segment called Mind Estate. So you're going to see different podcast called Mind Estate in the Right Club podcast that are going to focus on different things. So some of it's going to be mindset, hence Mind Estate. Some of it's going to be procrastination, just like we did today. Some of it's going to be talking about just health and well-being and just other things that you can do to help improve your life along with real estate investing. And we're going to try to keep some of the questions, tying that back into real estate, but Anyways, let us know if you guys if you guys enjoy these episodes, if you want to see and hear more, and uh, we'd love your feedback. So, Laurel, tell us about our guest today. Our guest today is Nancy Morris. Now, full disclosure here, I have known Nancy for years and years and years and years, and we have a really good time together. We're, we're, we're best friends, so uh, I am a little prejudiced in terms of, of what I think she can do and offer, but she's really, she's a great person. She is a uh, specialist in business psychology. She actually has a master's degree in applied positive psychology. And that's a, that's a relatively new field as, as you will hear about in the, in the podcast. She has written a book on procrastination and the title of her book is called procrastinate now, which is really cool because people always do a double take when they see it because procrastinate now, it, it's like an oxymoron, right? It's like now and, but I'm, you're asking me to procrastinate, which means later. So it's like she's saying later now. It's, it's a really cool book, really cool concept. She's worked hard on this and she's so full of ideas about how people can use a procrastination and mindset to really move themselves forward. Yeah, it was so interesting. And you know what a really cool thing is we talked to her a little bit about paralysis by analysis and why that happens to people when they can't, they seem to know everything they, they need to to get started in real estate investing, but they just can't get there and pull the trigger and buy something. So we talked a little bit about that. I thought that was pretty cool. And she gives us some specific tips on what to do to be able to press that go or that start button. Right. And when you listen to the podcast, you'll find out how she literally fell out of a plane <laughs> and survived. So that's really kind of fun. So you got to listen yeah. to that one. It's kind of scary. It makes me wonder if I want to go back and skydive. <laughs> As I was listening to this, I'm like, well, I'm glad I did it once. It's off my bucket list. I don't know if I would go back. <laughs> Yeah, she's got some really good tips. And that's what I like about Nancy. She is not just about theory and academics, right? It's about making it real. And 
allowing you and me and everybody else who's in real estate or in any kind of business or uh, that, that can that can actually use these tools and make your life better. And I know that sounds really broad, but it's true. We all need help in um, in just doing things for ourselves that that makes it makes our lives a little smoother, a little easier. And Nancy's got some really good tips on this. So shall we listen to the podcast? That's it. Let's do it. Okay. So Nancy, so tell us, you know, you, you, I've known you for a long time and we've gone through thick and thin together Mm -hmm. and got your master's in business psychology, actually positive psychology, positive psychology, master's in applied positive psychology. So like, tell us a little bit, what, what is a master's in applied positive psychology? Uh, it's about three years and thousands of dollars. <laughs> it is positive psychology was started. The study of positive psychology was started in 1998 when Martin Seligman was the head of the APA, the American Psychological Association, because he was becoming aware that most of the research done in psychology was done on sort of like the abnormal side. So what he wanted to do was redirect research towards not just helping people to survive but to thrive so the upside of zero as it were and so positive psychology it it sort of got that name from the research based in uh you know what are positive attributes what do people do that to to live this thriving full life and and what are their characteristics and how do they behave and what's their mindset and all that sort of stuff so all this psychology psychological research was done from 1998 onwards, now positive psychology is a relatively new field in the grand scheme of things. It's like 21 years or something, so that's relatively new. But they've already decided and discovered that, first off, not all the research in the original research that was done is can be replicated. So therefore, the theories aren't as strong as originally thought. And there was this misunderstanding that positive psychology was all about happyology. And that anything negative was to be avoided. Now, positive psychology 2.0, even 3.0, is less about focusing on just everything positive and ditching the negative, but more about the wholeness of life experience. So, understanding the negative and understanding the positive, and also who can tell you or me what positive looks like to us? That's our own interpretation of our life. It's our own understanding of that. So it's not about how one should behave or what attitude one should have to to thrive in life, but what works for that individual person is just as valid as what works for another individual person. So the newer version of positive psychology is much more about what a person defines for themselves as positive and the way they want to go in life. And then what are the attitudes and actions that somebody can follow to make that happen in life in a nutshell. Wow. Okay. So that's a, a lot to absorb. This is actually the first time I'm almost, you know, I think I'm hearing about positive psychology. And so let's just, you know, kind of make it simple for somebody that says, Hey, you know what, what can I do day to day to take some of that and apply it? Well, there isn't a simple answer to that because in the original version of positive psychology, there is a simple answer. You know, meditate, get rid of things in your physical space that are cluttering your life, get rid of toxic people in your life, all these sorts of things 
would be the original version of positive psychology as a science. Now it's more about how much do you understand about what it is that you want to create in all aspects of your life and how to help you go about doing that. So that's my area of expertise. And it, if you're going to boil it down into anything, I would boil it down into self-awareness, improving self-awareness. Um, my saying is the depth of self-awareness equals the breadth of success. The more you know about yourself, the more likely it is that you're going to make the choices and decisions that you want to fulfill your life in a nutshell. Okay, well, so that took you how many years? Three? <laughs> yeah, three, three for the masters. Yeah. And not accounting the, so I have about 19 years of academic in total. Oh my so, God, wow. <laughs> yeah, really long time. And I'm about to do my PhD, Laurel. Oh no, oh no. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> Are you a wine drinker too? Is that how you guys know each other? No, <laughs> I don't drink wine, I, but I do drink. So, like, <laughs> Hey, Right Club Nation. This week's sponsor is Emil Jelnik. Emil is a mortgage broker that has personally helped me grow my real estate portfolio and rent-to-own business for years now. The really cool thing is that he started out like most of us, with no property and no money. Over his investing career, he was able to accumulate over 200 units. The beauty is that with Emil, you not only get the mortgage you need, but you get investing advice from someone there that has been there and done it and has the experience. Absolutely. Now, if you're just getting started or perhaps you already have many properties or even if you want to get into commercial investing, Emil can help you. And he's already helped many of our Right Club Nation listeners. He's very focused on helping you and our listeners meet their financial dreams. So if you wanted to reach out and call Emil, you can call him at 416 402 seven four four eight or visit his website which is jellyneckmortgages.ca if you want to get to know more about emil you can check out his episode of our podcast episode number 21 and get to know emil a little bit better yourself but for now back to the podcast our listeners should but nancy and i are really good friends and, and for a long time and i watched her and listened to her she went through to get her master's degree and um <laughs> I threatened her. Um, I said, "If so, help me God. If you go get your PhD, I'm going to put you, throw you in a closet, lock the door, and throw away the key." <laughs> but, Wasn't it fortunate we don't live in the same city anymore? Just <laughs> because it's a lot of work, and it's it's and yeah, you've got to vent to people. I get it. It's it's just really it's kind of sometimes painful when you watch people going through these these programs and getting mm -hmm. to where they want to go. Uh, however, let's go back to positive psychology and procrastination because you specialize also in, in procrastination, right, Nancy? It's like I wrote the book. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote the book on procrastination. Yeah, I mean, I look at procrastination in a completely different way than, than most people look at it. And But when I explain it to people and my view of procrastination that's based in science, not just psychobabble, they get it. People just get it right away and they understand why procrastination could be such a good thing so why is procrastination <laughs> i feel like that's the next obvious question <laughs> isn't it didn't i just sort of lead you there um, so if you look at procrastination the same way you look at a fever what does a fever tell you well something wrong with your something has invaded your body that's your body trying to get rid of right you're sick inflammation right, you're sick it, sorry what's that sarah inflammation 
or no? A fever, no, it's, no, you're right. A fever tells you that you have an underlying infection. So the fever is the signal that something is wrong. Procrastination is a behavior. Not doing something is a behavior as much as doing something is a behavior. So if you're not doing something, it's because something else is bothering you. What most people want to do is stop procrastinating. But that's like trying to say, okay, body, don't give me a fever if I have an infection. In actual fact, procrastination is part of your higher intelligence. It's part of what's called metacognition that is signaling you that something's bothering you. So if you simply want to just ignore procrastination, which sounds interesting as a phrase, I don't think I've ever said that one before, but if, if you just want to push it off to one side, you're never really going to get to the root of what it is that's bothering you. A couple of things to remember because people get this part screwed up often. Do you guys like say, I'm going to think about something until Friday and then make a decision? Do you guys usually do that? Usually I just make a decision and then I think about something, which is actually a, a fault, but I think it's what got me into real estate investing. <laughs> I don't know if it's a fault, but do you, do you ever sit and mull something over? Yeah, I'm off of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll say, I got to think about it. Yeah. Right. And, and right. sometimes I won't do something, even though I've told someone I'll do something because, and I realize I'm procrastinating. And I also, I'm also aware though, that there's something going on. I'm not making a decision because something's not working. Like there's a piece missing or like the pieces aren't fitting together. Something's not right. Yeah. So that if you know that there's something not working, there's something underneath that, that's precisely what I'm talking about. You're getting a signal from your higher level of intelligence telling you that something's not right. That's why you're not doing it. But those people who say, okay, I need to think about this for a few days and I need to mull this over, that's not procrastination. People erroneously say that's procrastination. They define that as procrastination is not. It again is a really good cognitive strategy to say, I'm going to think about this for a few days and then just put it in the back of your head. If you then come back to Friday and say, oh, I'm going to think about it for another week, that's probably procrastination. But the original, I'm going to think about this for a few days is not procrastination, not technically. Also, it's not procrastination if you are sitting there with a choice of four or five different things that you could do and you choose to do say B instead of A. If you really just are stuck between two choices or pardon me not stuck but if you just really have two choices and you choose B over A it doesn't mean you're procrastinating about A. See the real definition is something that most people don't know and the real definition of procrastination is avoiding doing something even though you know it's going to have a negative outcome. So if it's not a negative, and I mean a negative outcome in that it's going to affect your work, it's going to affect your family, it's going to affect your health, it's going to affect your finances, you know, all these sorts of things. If it doesn't have that knowing it's got a, going to have a negative outcome, then it's not technically procrastination. It is either preference or mulling something over. So let's start from there, because a lot of people think that avoiding anything is procrastination. And it's not. It's only procrastination if you are going to experience a negative outcome. Okay, so okay? I have a question, a personal question about this. So like, sure. let's say for example, I despise paperwork and I have a pile of papers right now sitting on my desk. I still have to hand this stuff in for some of my corporate taxes. And it's been like a few months because every time I, I start doing it, I become really angry. <laughs> and then I just have to figure out who I'm going to hire for this. What do you call that? <laughs> well, are you getting really angry or is there something else about it? The lack of time that I have makes me like not want to do this. 
Okay. So if, if it's really, I mean, you've got to get it done. The negative outcome would be a note from CRA, you no know, nasty letters from people or whatever, right? Or some sort of tax penalties. So it does have a negative outcome. So it would fall into the procrastination category, but you can still just have a preference. So I'm going to, I'm going to explain to you what the signal, what the signals could be, the things that you're trying to avoid and you tell me if any of these are relevant, okay? So when somebody is truly procrastinating, they know that there could be a negative outcome, but they're not doing something anyway. There are several things that could be bothering you. Perhaps it's something that, like you say, you're angry. Are you angry because you have to pay taxes? <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> no, you know what? I got a tax refund this year. It's more, the I think, the process of having to spend time filing. Like, okay, <laughs> okay. so not- we're going to get there, okay? So... So perhaps what a person is being asked to do isn't relative to what they want to achieve. So that's one reason why you might procrastinate about something, even though you know it's got a negative outcome to it. But the ones that are really important, okay, and this is what, there's four main ones that people really procrastinate about that are, they really need to understand that what's going on is this underlying signal. The first one is, is that they feel they don't have the confidence to do the task that's asked of them. Do you feel you have the confidence to do the paperwork? Yes. Okay, so that's not relevant to you. Do you feel that you're going to be judged by somebody? There's this idea of performance anxiety that some people feel that is going to bother them. So they don't do something because somebody is going to judge them. Laurel knows that years ago, if I had to send out a, somebody was asking for a proposal to do some work, I would type up the proposal. It would have big numbers in it. And I had to say, this is what I'm going to do. And this is what I think the problem is. And here's the solution. And I would hover my finger over the send button because I knew that my document was going to be judged and perhaps judge negatively. And somebody might go, that's funny, and throw it in the garbage. Is that relative to you at all? No. Okay. So another one that's really, really important for people to remember is that if the tasks are being asked to do goes against who they think they are as a person. So I've dealt with a number of salespeople over the years who they might believe in the product that they have to sell or the process, but they're not happy with the way they're being told to sell it. They might have to fudge the numbers a little bit or not necessarily be upfront with the person that they're talking to. And that goes against who they feel they are as people. Is that relevant to you in this situation? No, I don't think so. But it is interesting. I am a salesperson. Maybe, I don't know. Okay, it could be. The one that might be relevant here, and this is relevant for me and anything that has to do with math, so that's why it's coming up in my head right now, is adults hate looking incompetent, even to themselves. So one of the reasons I know to be true why people avoid doing taxes is because it can be a complicated thing to do. And it can cause people to look kind of stupid to themselves. And so like, For me, if somebody says do algebra, it's like, no, that's going to sit on my desk for probably years because I'm not good at math. I don't think I'm very good at math. So I'm going to look incompetent, maybe to you, but more importantly, to myself. So people will procrastinate if they think they're going to look incompetent or if they're going to struggle to complete something. Is that you in this no, situation? I will say I am not good at math. You, you are right on that. However, this is only filing and sending paperwork. <laughs> so so then no- this isn't procrastination. This is more about preference. Oh, okay. So if you're, if you're in your head saying, I can delegate this, then delegate it. Because it's not really procrastination. If none of these things 
are relevant for you, that it's like a task that's not relative to what you want to achieve. You perhaps don't like, well, maybe this is one. You don't like the person or organization in this case that's giving you the task. So if you have some sort of, like, usually we talk about this one in terms of a boss or a colleague, you know, they pl somebody plops some paperwork on your desk and you really don't like that person, it's quite likely that to get back at them, you're just going to push it over to one side of your desk, even though it's going to have a negative outcome for you. The, so government. That one. the government needs their papers done. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's just about understanding really what's underneath all of this in terms of procrastination. But as I say, the four, the four key ones that people need to understand about themselves are, am I confident? Do I have the confidence to do this task? Do I have the competence to do it or am I gonna look like a fool? Am I going to be judged? Do I feel I'm going to be judged? Do I have a degree of you know, performance anxiety, basically standing in front of a crowd with a microphone, basically that sort of thing? And does it go against one of my core values? Those are the four things, the four main signals of procrastination that people don't understand. And most true procrastination will fit into one of those four, one of those four signals, one of those four situations. That's so interesting. Thank you for going through that exercise. If you're at home listening to this, think of something that you haven't done and it you is on your plate. And those are great questions to ask. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, no worries. So you've explained how you can figure out someone is procrastinating yep. or not, whether it's a preference, because my preference is not to do paperwork. It's to get somebody in to do it. Now, and when you say, well, we're not procrastinating, I mean, procrast we call it procrastinating. Oh, I'm procrastinating calling somebody to help. It's simply more, and I, although I hate using this term, time management, it's really more a time management problem, right? Like I just... Yeah, I mean, if you're procrastinating phoning somebody to fix a problem that you have, I would, it depends on how long you're saying you're procrastinating for. If it's days and days, I would say it's because you don't want to look incompetent to that person. Right. 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 You don't want to admit to somebody else that you can't solve this problem. So we procrastinate about the solution. Right. It really does boil down, though, to people understanding that when they're avoiding a behavior, avoiding a task, the key message here is. Don't berate yourself for doing that ever. The most important thing you want to do is instead of going, oh God, I'm procrastinating. I'm such a schmuck. It's like, oh look, I'm procrastinating. Something's bothering me. What is it? Because then when you figure out what it is, let's say with you, Laurel, when I didn't want to hit the send button, I would phone you up and say, I don't want to hit the send button because I was able to admit it. You give me shit for a few minutes and then say, phone me back in five minutes after you've hit the send button. And then when I did, you were just, we celebrated it for a few minutes. So you were part of my solution for doing something I didn't want to do because I thought I was going to be judged about it. You would sort of talk to me about how we know that some of the stuff that we do send out is going to be judged and sometimes it's judged well and sometimes it's not, you know, all that sort of stuff. You would just feed back to me what I knew, but I needed to hear. So you were part of my solution okay. years ago to get that done. Okay. Right. And you know what is causing your higher level of intelligence to say, hang on here, there's something that makes me uncomfortable. When you embrace that is what's going on rather than berate yourself then you're more likely to be able to say, yeah, I'm worried about being judged and maybe I don't want to look incompetent. So you can have more than one thing going on at the same time. And just admit that and be honest about it and then create your solution to that. Instead of trying to solve procrastination, solve the underlying problem. Because procrastination is always going to be there. People are always going to avoid doing things. 
So you cannot stop procrastination. You can manage it differently, but you can't stop it. So we can actually, like you said, set up little solution processes. We can say, okay, in this particular instance, if I'm, if I'm procrastinating over this, then like, or, or I might call you and say, okay, Nancy, I got the, pro this is my problem. What do I do? Or tell, like, I know what I want. I know what I need to do. Just tell me to do it and, and reassure me that yeah. I'm okay. Having accountability and encouragement, building those two things into your life and into your systems is really, really important no matter what you're doing. So for me, the three cornerstones of success are self-awareness, which of course procrastination feeds into. You've got self-awareness, accountability, and encouragement. So if a person is going to build a system for being successful in their business, being successful even in real estate investment, you, you need to have those three things. Work on building your self-awareness, have an accountability buddy or team, and also an encouragement buddy or team. And those three things are the system that somebody can put around themselves. Yeah, that's really interesting. So I do, because this is a, a real estate podcast yep. in general, and this is a segment of it, I want to tie it back and just mention that there's a lot of people that will email us and listeners that have what they call or what we call analysis paralysis. So they know that they want to get into real estate. They've learned tons about it. They analyze a bunch of properties. They're just not able to go ahead and get a deal or send offers. And so I don't want to give you more information. I'd like to just hear what your thoughts are on that and what somebody in that situation can do. So if it's if, something to that, Nancy. Sure. What, what Sarah's really saying is they do all the work. They, get, they, they study, they study, they analyze, they analyze. And in your, your version, they never press the submit button. They're right. always in that pre-submit cycle, right? I got to learn more. I got to learn more. I don't know enough. I'm not good enough. Oh, what was thinking of me? I'm not good enough. I got to learn more. I got to learn more. And they yeah. And that is classic decisional avoidance procrastination using that paralysis by analysis. It's getting everything ready and not pressing the button, as you say. So over and above what we've already talked about. So I would go back to, I'm worried about being judged. I'm worried about looking incompetent. I'm worried about doing something that goes against my core values. All these sorts of things that we've already talked about. Something that people don't really understand about themselves is their risk aversion levels. How much are you prepared to risk? And everybody's definition of the word risk cognitively, psychologically, is very, very different. And it's, I wouldn't say there's one definition across the board. People can have different levels of risk for different sorts of things. But if that person recognizes I'm never hitting that button or I'm never doing the next step, then they sort of owe it to themselves to say, okay, what is my risk tolerance here? But what is the story? What am I telling myself I will risk? So quite often with clients and people I bump into, they'll have this type of question for me. Why am I not doing what I know to do? And it's usually because there's some sort of story and noise usually crap, about what they could be risking. So it's pulling apart that story. One of the fastest ways of doing that, even when sitting on your own, is going, and I'm sure many people will have heard of this before, is having the what if conversation or the so what conversation. Both of those are the same sort of thing. And it, it sounds something like this. So I've got all this information about this possible thing I could do, and but what if it fails? Okay, so what if, then what? So do either one of you want to be sort of a guinea pig on this one? And I'll walk you through 
I wasn't like, getting you pig on the last one, Laurel. It's okay. <laughs> I'll be the guinea pig. Okay. You'll be the guinea pig. So can you give me an example of something that you've paused, procrastinated, hesitated about, not hit the send button on because of risk? Because of risk. Okay. Um, I'm, pause, I'm pausing not because I don't have anything. There's so many things. Um, okay. So one of the things I'm, I, I know I'm procrastinating right now is on a a little a mentoring program I want to put together. Right. And I was like, it's like, well, should it be this? Should it be that? It's like, I am kind of caught in that. Well, what if it's the wrong thing? Well, what if nobody likes it? Okay. Well, what if, what if? Okay. What if? Do you want to pick one of those what ifs to play with? One that you think is relevant. Yeah. Well, what if, what if, um, what if nobody likes me? <laughs> but that's a real valid one, right? I like you, all... Laurel. I like you. Yeah. And I like you too, but <laughs> we're not the world. So is it? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, I do like you. I'm not kidding about that. <laughs> yeah, we're laughing, but that's a real, that's a really. It is. Effort. Yeah. Many, many people, the, the need to be liked is super important, right? Yeah. So, and anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about is kidding themselves because I think most of the population really wants that kind of approval and acceptance, which we all, we tend to categorize as liked. And that feedback. Yeah, pardon? Feedback. Here it is. Here it is. Here's the big one. And you, Nancy, you and I have talked about this <laughs> over and over and over. The whole backstory to this, folks. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's what if I'm not good enough? Exactly. What if I'm okay? So, Laurel, first off, I'd say good enough for what? Well, people might find out I'm a like. I, maybe they think I'm a fraud. Maybe they maybe they'll think that I don't know what I'm talking about. And what if they find out that you don't know what you're talking about? Well, that's not going to happen because I do. <laughs> Let's pretend you don't play. This is a role play. <laughs> okay, so they're going to get mad at me. They're going to, worse than not giving me a referral, maybe they'll spread bad news about me. Like So let's say they do. Let's say they do. Let's say people, so what? Okay. So what? See, I'm going to interrupt you here because we could go on about this and Forever. you know we've had this conversation so many times we have but your hesitation tells me that the idea of well what if this happens is just noise in your head there's actually nothing behind it and i could probably keep pushing you and you'd be making it up just to come up with some sort of answer but normally when i have this sort of conversation with someone about what they're able to tolerate in risk with what if or so what questions we get all the way to the end when they're living in a box underneath a bridge and it's sort of like okay so what if that happens and then it's like well i'll just pick myself up and start again yeah because at the root of all of the what if and the so what is really a measure of whether or not somebody feels that they can take control back in their life. But sometimes we have to dig through the so what and the what ifs to remind somebody that underneath all of that risk aversion, they're just going to get up and keep moving anyway. Yeah. Because usually the worst case scenario is not that bad when they really honestly look at it. But everybody has this risk aversion to one thing or another. And knowing that usually helps somebody to hit the send button. You want to take that next step. Now, I know when I have the same sort of thing come up, it's usually you, Laurel, that I phone because you're the one that sort of says to me, oh, Nancy, just stop listening to the noise and hit send. And it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, that's right. And I hit send. And we go back to this idea of having people around you 
who can fill in the gaps when you perhaps lack some knowledge, but can also give you the accountability and encouragement that one needs, that, that sort of feedback that we all need and like and seek that says, it's okay, you'll be okay, you'll figure this out, it's gonna be fine. Because noise, which is also a learned behavior, but noise is very, very loud. And our brain has a natural innate tendency a requirement actually to negative information first, even if that information is in your head. So much like if somebody honks their horn when you're running across the street, you're likely to sort of jump like this and run. Well, when your brain hears negative noise, it's likely just to stop. It's a great saying I heard the other day that I want to share with you, and I, I don't remember where I heard it. God, it could have been from you, Laurel, for all I know. But it's the confused mind will always say no. So it's a marketing statement. The confused mind will always, will always say no. So what you want to do with, the, with people you're trying to influence or sell something to is make sure they're not confused. But the same is true for your own mind. If your mind is confused about something, it will always say no. That's why the so what and the what if questions really, really work because it helps to give you clarity as to what you're capable of doing. So even if, you know, it works better if you get somebody to run it with you, the so what or what if, question, what if questions, but even in one's own head, it's sort of like, well, what if nobody likes me? Okay, so what? Just ask that of yourself. So what if nobody likes me? You know, and so what if, if the, the roof caves in? So what if this thing, that thing happens? The resilience that people have is sometimes buried underneath the noise. And it's really important to get to the bottom of the noise. That's where the self-awareness part comes in, the accountability and the encouragement. All three of those things can help somebody get to the bottom of the noise. Because at the end of the day, it's all well and good what you and I might say to somebody, but it's what they're telling themselves that gets them to take action or not. And if somebody's, the number of times people have said to me, can you please tell me why I'm not doing what I know to do? Unfortunately, it's not a simple answer, but it's also not complicated. It's because you're, you know, you have a risk aversion. What is your, what is your risk tolerance? What are you prepared to risk? And risk can be as simple as, I don't want people to not like me. It doesn't have to be about money and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. That, does that answer That's really that? That's profound. You know, it got me thinking, like, if there, because every time I, I do a podcast, I try to say, okay, what can I take from this and, like, apply and the so what and the what if is just something so easy that you can just start, you know, as soon as we get off this, why am I procrastinating on this paperwork? <laughs> or I guess you say yeah. procrastination, but even procrastinating hiring somebody to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is, are, are you looking, are you afraid of looking incompetent, whatever? And then, so what? So what if you look incompetent? Then what? Okay, so then I'll learn something. Okay, great. So so then what? You know, and all the way to the end where 99% of the population will find the answer, I'll just get up and keep going anyway. Right. I mean, you know, and and that's and that's so key because this podcast episode I think will help a lot of people that are having that analysis paralysis or paralysis by analysis I can never figure out which word comes first but I feel like it means the same thing regardless it does it means they're stuck yeah it means they're stuck and you know and and so what and so what's the worst thing that can happen and yep. real like really 
if somebody does a lot of research and, and they go to networking events and they, yes, okay, you could like, you could go bankrupt, but you could, you're never so going to be wealthy if you don't take some amount of risk at some point in your life. If you just leave your money in a savings account, well, guess what? Inflation is eating it away to the 3% a year. If you're putting in a mutual fund, you're paying MER fees of, you know, two to 3%, potentially more plus inflation. I mean, even at 6%, in a mutual fund, you're making nothing. So real estate, so what? You have higher, potentially a higher risk, in my opinion. It's not as high as, as stocks, but higher risk and higher rewards. So it's very calculated at the end of the day. And there is speculation and there is investing and you you can invest wisely. And, and so mm -hmm. what, what's the worst thing that can happen? In 10 years from now, you look back at it and you're going to be happy that you did it. Well, and, and you, you said something there, Sarah, like, well, you know, I, about bankruptcy because that that is a real fear for some people we know that and so, mm -hmm. so the question is mm -hmm. well so what if you go bankrupt you're still going to get up and do something right it's not the world is not the world is not going to end if you go bankrupt it is not going to end Are i declared bankruptcy in my 20s did the world end no, and what happened nothing i just got up the next day and went back to work and like, do you know what I mean? It was, it was a jolt to my sort of like, oh crap, this is what I need to do. And then, then it was like, okay, this is what I need to do. Remember, it's how you talk to yourself. Even the tone of voice is like, oh, this is what I have to do. Oh, this is what I have to do. Okay. I get a, it's two different ways just there in talking to yourself. But nothing bad happened. And I was able to reconfigure myself and get into a position where I could. I, st I started traveling after that. I, st I moved over to the United Kingdom. I started there. I was there for 13 years. I started my business in the UK and then I moved it back here to Canada. I believe, so. Yeah, I believe there's a solution to every problem. Yeah, and it's not usually as difficult as people think it's going to be. You know, solutions, we will make tiny little problems into these massive things just by the noise that is created through um, guesstimations, assumptions, and old learned behavior that was never properly understood. Um, pretty much everything that we do in terms of the language in our head is a learned response. It's not truthful. People have this assumption that most of the things that the brain tells them are true. When in actual fact, the brain is a lovely creative place that can come up with all sorts of crap. <laughs> yeah. And if, you, if you're listening to it, then you're going to believe it. May I tell a story about risk? Of course. From my, from my own life. And Laurel knows this one, I think, about my jumping out of a plane. No. Okay. Okay, so years and years ago, I'll make a long story as short as possible. Years and years ago, I was invited by my brother to jump out of a plane to go skydiving in Alberta. And uh, this is a long time ago. And thinking that he would never actually organize it, I said, sure, why not? <laughs> like, yeah, this is never going to happen, right? And it's always been something, you know, you think, oh, yeah, that'd be really cool to do. I said, yeah, yeah, sure. Two days later, he phoned me back and said, right, we're going on Sunday. I was like, oh, what? And I couldn't back down because it was my brother and I'd look like a chicken if I did. And I said, okay. And I went to some hick town, Northern Alberta, where the runway was a, a mowed cornfield or a plowed cornfield. And we did our training in the morning and we were supposed to jump in the afternoon. That was fine. We all went for lunch in this little cafe in the middle of nowhere. I had no saliva in my mouth. 
when we, I couldn't eat, I couldn't drink. Most of us were just sort of staring. We weren't allowed to have a beer because they wouldn't take us up if we'd had a beer, understandably. <laughs> so, and then we went back afterwards and we proceeded to jump. I was asked, there was about, I don't know, about 12 of us or whatever. And we had to do it in different plane loads because the plane was so small. And I said, I need to go first because if I don't go first, I'm not going to do it at all. I need to be the first person out of the first plane load. Otherwise, I'm not doing it. So Didham's here, gets loaded into the plane. I'm in the plane with my brother, another friend, the pilot and the jump master. There's one seat in the plane for the pilot. And even the pilot's wearing a parachute. And the plane is a two-seater plane. And they've ripped out the other chair. And they, the jump master, who's turned looking at us, facing us, says, did anybody tell you how we have to lift the plane off the ground? And it was like, no. He said, everybody has to lean forward to take the weight off the back of the plane. We all have to lean forward. So I had to lean into the jump master's chest. And as we lifted off the ground, and we climb up to 3,500 uh, 3, feet, and it wasn't a tandem jump. It was a single jump. It was all by my little, little self. I had to climb out on the plane. We put your feet on the wheel, and you hold on to the wing. The jump master has your pilot chute in his hand. And then when you're out there, he says, you take your foot off the wheel. When, you're, when he's out there, he says, okay, jump. And you let go, and he throws a pilot chute out after you, and it opens up the chute. Well, long story short, I was not aggressive enough, I was not assertive enough, and I was not confident enough. So when I went out onto the wing, and I put my feet on the wheel, and I grabbed onto the strut, I didn't grab onto the strut hard enough. And I also had my hands this way instead of that way around the strut. So as soon as I took my feet off the wheel, I just went. I, just, I was gone. And the jump master had the wherewithal to throw the shoot out after me. It opened up. I didn't know that it had opened up incorrectly. So when I went to flare the chute, just like 50 or 60 feet off the ground, so I'd come in nice and smooth, I went into a left-handed turn because the left hand came all the way down. The right hand did not. So I went into a left-handed turn. I landed on my side in a plowed cornfield getting dragged by my chute, which wasn't stopping way on the wrong side of the field because our target was over here and I was on this side of the field way down. And I remember I balled up my parachute and I was sort of sat on the ground bawling my eyes out and this jump master comes running over and it was all well and good I didn't break anything or whatever but I have photographs from that day five photographs of what it was supposed to have looked like <laughs> and what it actually looked like and it hung on my wall in my office and I think to myself if I can do that I can do just about anything and I have to remind myself of those things sometimes. That could have killed me. Putting money into real estate, writing up a proposal for work, any of the, none of that's going to kill me. Jumping out of a plane is going to kill me. Now, not everybody has a jump out of plane story, but I'll bet you if you look hard enough in your life, you're going to find a story that tells you and reminds you of something that you did that you didn't think you could do that was a significant risk to your well-being, not just your bank balance or something, but your whole well-being. And you went ahead and did it. And even though there might have been problems and challenges, you survived and you kept going. That's what I mean about understanding your risk aversion. So when I hesitate over the send button, I now just look at that because it's never going to be as bad as falling out of an airplane at 3,500 feet. Yeah, that's a great story. 
I use that one a lot when I'm talking about risk and balancing the noise in your head with the realities of, of your world. Right. I mean, yeah. As you were saying that, I was like actually picturing the whole thing in my head. (laughs) (laughs) And I just, I just, when I went on a plane last year and it was like with somebody like a tandem and I don't even know if I could have done a solo, but kudos to you. That was your first jump too. Well, I wouldn't do it again. (laughs) (laughs) I might go tandem. I might go tandem, but that really freaked me out. And when I was debriefing with the jump master, when I was falling through the sky with my eyes shut after falling out of the plane, I remember feeling something slide up my neck and throw my head back. And I thought for a nanosecond that the whole shoot had come off my back and I was about to die. And, but what it was, was the chute not opening properly because I was tumbling, I wasn't falling properly, and the ropes probably getting caught in my neck and throwing my head back because that's probably what screwed up the, the wire, the, you know, cords. And, uh, and then the jump master said, or it was a bird. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, the jump master said, you're lucky you didn't hang yourself. Don't don't go skydiving again. Okay, I won't. It's okay. I won't. We're good. <laughs> Did oh, it once. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you, you always hope for the best, right? But you never know. That's right. So, but uh, yeah. So we've gone like investing a few, I don't know, tens of thousands in real estate to like hanging yourself as you fall out of a plane. Great. <laughs> I, I, you know, money has its energy about it, doesn't it? There's a whole little psychological department in somebody's head when it comes to money. There's a desire for money, a want for money and all those, and then we hang on to it and we don't want to lose it. So the, the conversation one's head around money is somewhere between complicated and, and complex. Okay. So, but again, when somebody understands what their risks are, what they're prepared to tolerate and, or is willing to set up a system around themselves to challenge that noise that's in their head and also to support them, even if something does quote unquote fail, then that means they're more likely to, to take the next step, to hit that send button, to take the, you know, make the decision and not just keep analyzing. It's super safe to analyze till the cows come home. That is so, so safe. And if somebody is continuing to do that, then they really deserve to challenge themselves on what that's all about. They deserve to understand that. Absolutely. Lots of great insights. So Nancy, we would keep you forever if we could, but the next part of our podcast is our famous lightning round. So Laurel and I will ask you a series of four questions and you're going to give us (laughs) the first thing that comes to mind. Surprise. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. It's now time for the lightning round. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Sarah Larby. Sarah's goal is to help other Canadians create wealth and retire earlier through real estate investing. Ever wonder how to find, screen, and manage the very best tenants? Go to www.sarahlarby.com to download her free guide. How about where to invest? If so, Sarah is also giving away a free checklist to determine where you will want to buy your next investment property. Check it out on her website. Okay, so question number one. So what do you typically do on a Sunday morning? Absolutely nothing. All right. <laughs> no, seriously. So I sleep involve, in. Like meditation? What? No, it involves nothing. <laughs> I try and make it so that Sundays are the day that have nothing planned. So I get up in the morning on a Sunday and sort of say to myself, so what do I want to do now? 
And then an hour from now, it might be, well, what do I want to do now? So maybe one Sunday morning, it's meditation. Maybe it's watching television. Maybe it's going to the grocery store and getting groceries. What do I want to do now is how I try and dedicate Sunday. Because most of the other days are, you know, like work or house cleaning or whatever. So I have no plans for Sundays if, you know, if, I, if I'm lucky. That's the way I plan it. Okay. All right. Question number two, Nancy, what is your favorite nonfiction or business book? Please. Really? Okay, My so let's, own. Talk, let's talk about your book. So for those of you that are listening to this and can't see, it is Nancy's book. So Nancy, tell us about your book. The book is called Procrastinate Now, Rethinking Time Management. And it's the first 18 pages that explore and look at what procrastination is based on the science. Just the first 18 pages. Because I do realize that people who are, who are procrastinating are unlikely to read a book no matter how short it is. So I have to tell them that the first 18 pages are all they need to read. The other 107 pages are scripts of an audio program that I've been giving to corporate entities, corporate universities and stuff like that for years and years. And these are scripts on different ways of looking at time management because there is really no such thing as time management. So ways to organize yourself, your desk, your life, stuff like that. So my book, Procrastinate Now, Rethinking Time Management, and people can get a free copy of it from the nancymorris.com website if they want. Little plug. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. Laurel. So What's one thing you can't leave your house without having in your hand, your pocket? My phone now, <laughs> my cell phone, okay. but not, not for work or anything like that. I like to have it in case somebody in the family needs me, but I don't, I mean, I don't use it a lot when I go out. It's now just become a habit to take it with me. And sometimes I just play games if I'm waiting for a meeting to start or, you know, but yeah, I'd say my cell phone. Okay. All right. Great. And last question of the lightning round, Nancy, who would you go to for advice on running your business and why? I would go to Laurel. <laughs> well, she has been, I have met Laurel when I first moved back to Canada back in 2003. She knows everything about my business and everything about me that's relevant to my business. So I would always go to Laurel. Amazing. Period. Full stop. End of story. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, like really what you're saying is that you really need trust. Well, I didn't say yeah. I trusted you. <laughs> okay. Um, no, no, we always just have a good laugh. No, no, of course. Yeah, of course. Somebody I trust. Somebody I trust and somebody who I feel has an understanding and a grasp of the things that they need to understand in order to give me good advice. I don't need rock star or any, you know, none of that sort of stuff. And I need somebody who's been there, done that, probably has a t-shirt. Amazing. We'll tell you just to do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hit send, damn it, Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, awesome. So that was our lightning round questions. Nancy, if people wanted to reach out, I know you mentioned your website. Where can people go and uh, reach out to you? If anybody has any questions or if they want any further information on anything, they can reach me at nancy at nancymorris.com. The free copy of my book, PDF download, is also at nancymorris.com. And I also have a new website launching called MeQ Campus. That's M-E-Q Campus.com, where people can take a free test that is all about the main aspects of self-awareness and perhaps where their gaps of knowledge are as it relates to themselves and, and the things they need to understand about who they are, why they do some of the things they do, and how they can do stuff better if that's what they want to do. Amazing. And any last words of advice for the listeners and the Right Club Nation? 
I think the most important thing, as I've said, the three pillars of success, as far as I'm concerned, are self-awareness, accountability, and encouragement. And if you're missing one of those three, the things that you want to achieve in life are going to be more difficult. I don't think you need a person needs to go out and spend ad nauseum hours analyzing and, and all that sort of stuff. It's just little incremental steps forward based on self-awareness, somebody kicking your ass when it needs to be kicked, and then someone holding your hand when that needs to happen. So those, I think if any advice I give to any business person is make sure you've got those three things wrapped up. Amazing. Well, on that note, yes. Thank you, Nancy, for being on the Thank show. you for having me. I appreciate it. Okay, super. Laurel, that was an awesome podcast. I learned a ton of stuff and I also feel like I need to get my paperwork in order and completed. So guys, if you have a good bookkeeper, FYI, please let me know. <laughs> I'd love to have a bookkeeper that comes to my house and just files the stuff. Just I just need them filed and then shipped to my accountant. <laughs> and I can't even do that, but I think it's going to put some fire under my ass to do it. Yeah. Yeah, what's a good interview because Nancy really talks about the difference between sort of your preferred state of mind, right? What you, a decision that you're delaying, like consciously delaying versus procrastination. And to me, that's the key distinction. And, you know, the fact that you have to look at whether you're being, you're judged, whether you're feeling incompetent and what your core values are. Those, those are really key. And it's just something we all have to think about as we move through our day-to-day -day life, because we're not aware of these things, but that's the cool thing about psychology. It's like, wow, okay, it really is affecting us whether we know it or not. Yeah. I liked her little, so what tip as well. You just keep digging and like, so what if this happens? And then what? So what? What's the big deal? I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Something I'm going to apply today. And, and until you get to the end where you can't answer anything more and you go, well, because I've done that. I've, I've had people do that for me. I've had mentors and I've worked with psychologists and even Nancy and she'll say, so what? I'll go. And then finally you just say, well, um, it doesn't, okay, there isn't anything. And oh, nothing's going to happen. Well, something might happen, but it's not, I'm still going to get up tomorrow morning. I'm still going to live my life and it, it'll be fine because we always figure it out, right? We always figure it out. Absolutely. So Laurel, the other really cool thing is Nancy has that free book and she's offering it for free to all of her listeners. So guys just go and download. And like she said, you can read 18 pages and you have the information. <laughs> Don't procrastinate. No, that's a decision, right? Don't defer right. your decision to go and get that book because it's free. Go to her website, nancymorris.com and grab it. That's it. Awesome. And separately from that, we are working really hard on launching our online community. And uh, Laurel, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? We're doing a lot of work on designing something that you can use that will be provide you lots of information and lots of chances to interact with each other. We're pulling all kinds of things together. And because this is the real world, it's taken us a little bit longer than we'd originally thought, but that's okay. It's coming out. We promise we'll keep you updated on it as we move forward. But we are really excited about it because there's lots of benefits for everyone to go in there and, and use it grab the information, share with each other, share with us. Like as, as the founders of the, of the Right Club, we're, we're always interested in hearing what's going on out there and what you're doing. So this is going to uh, give you a really good platform to be able to do that. Absolutely. So now I know we delayed it. Was that procrastination or was that delaying? No, that is not procrastination because there were actually some 
technical issues and business reasons where we made a decision that we had to say, okay, let's just draw a line in the sand here. Let's reconfigure. We've got some really good feedback from people. So now we have to just make a slight turn and adjustment. So that's not procrastination. That's being smart. There you go. It's um, no, I'm, I'm in, uh, in seriousness though. I'm super excited about it. It is going to be a great way for coast to coast listeners to be able to communicate with each other, find each other and learn and grow and, you know, actually see the content from our live events as well be able to find off-market deals on our marketplace. It's going to be really cool. And also if you do, if you're living in the Burlington or surrounding area and you have not come out to the right club, let us know. And your first ticket is complimentary on us. We just need your, uh, your email and your name and we will add you to the list for your first ticket. So you can email Sarah at uh, Sarah at the right club.com or you can email me Laurel at the right club.com and just let us know that you want to come complimentary first time and we'd love to see you like don't procrastinate just come on out (laughs) that's it come in network perfect well guys right club nation it's been a fun time always a pleasure and i hope uh, you guys tune in next week and laurel thank you for being a great co-host well thank you oh one more thing folks if you wouldn't mind if you can rate us it really helps us you know, get more known in, in the podcast world, more and more people find us. So if you have a, a couple of seconds, go on and onto iTunes or wherever and uh, just give us a rating. We'd really appreciate it. That's it. Right, Club Nation? Come grow with us. Yeah. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Right Club podcast and joining our community of real estate investors online at therightclub.com, where the focus is about helping you grow. We look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks from your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi.